Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah. Get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. This is the Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with my great patient co-host, Brock Landis. Brock, how is the quarantine life treating you, my friend? It's okay. I got my basketball fix with the Michael Jordan documentary. I was so excited to watch that, and it exceeded any expectation. Austin, did you get a chance to watch? I did. I, I started out watching it with my mom and dad, and then they both fell asleep. And I went up to my room and I watched it. And I was like, and it was like, I I, I kind of felt like it was okay. I mean, I, I don't watch a ton of ESPN uh, documentaries, and I felt like it was just an, any run of the mill ESPN documentary with like some good access. But I think a lot of it was just more capitalizing on the desperate thirst that we all have for sports right now. Okay, that's fair. For me, yeah. I I think. I think the series was really good in the first two episodes because as a 20-year-old kid, uh, by default, the answer for the basketball greatest of all time would be Michael Jordan. Uh, But as I alluded to my age, I didn't get to watch Michael Jordan. I've just said that as the default answer. And I don't think there's a debate between who the greatest of all time is because it's it's really a subjective answer. And there is no correct answer. It's, It's an answer predicated upon opinion or hindsight or statistics. But I don't think there's a correct answer, but this series really allowed me to learn more about Michael Jordan and namely Scottie Pippen too, which I had no idea about his upbringing and the story of how he was a 5'10 equipment manager and the next time his friend saw him, he was 6'8". And I started looking into some of the crazier growth spurts in the NBA and it's just unreal how genes work and growth spurts and how these stories really come to fruition. I read David Robinson was 5'9 as a junior in high school. The dude grew to 7'1". I mean, that's just unheard of. But like I said, I learned a lot about Scottie Pippen. And prior to watching this, I just always understood Pippen to be Michael Jordan's right-hand man. They called him the Robin to Michael Jordan's Batman. And I never really looked into how good Scottie Pippen was. I just kind of accepted what was already told to me. Uh, but I really learned more about Scotty, and he was a great basketball player. I know you probably saw the contract ordeal seven years for only $18 million, and you scratch your head because now that's what Andre Robertson gets paid. The one or not, or not paid, he's the 122nd highest paid player in the NBA. But that $18 million over the course of seven years, that's like one year of, of a Terry Rozier contract nowadays. A player of his caliber uh, can earn that much money. So it, it was just – it was nice to learn a little bit more about the the pastime of the NBA. Yeah, definitely. I actually, you know, this is probably going to be a very okay boomer thing for me to say, um, but I was actually like not that offended by the fact that he had that contract because, um, like, well, first of all, um, you know, like, like it is a business. And that that's like that's one thing I've learned like through school and like just working it's a business and it's, that's how it is in the end. That's how it is anywhere else. And, you know, I know that his background is definitely makes him, um, you know, I guess a a, a bit of a, not a sob story, but like, you know, you feel for him, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, like that's, 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 that's the, that's what life is sometimes. That's exactly what life is sometimes. And you have to be, uh, uh, you know, prepared and you have to, you know, think about the future as much as you can and 
and the NBA don't they don't care about you know if, you, if you're a kid or, or 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 what you're an employee you're 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 part of the product on the court and their job is to find the most efficient the most cost efficient way to get a winning product on the court that's that's the, that's the end game and uh, that's right. what they did and so you know I I I know I know it you know it it probably hurt him to 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 his to his core that you know they treated him like you know like like he wasn't anything like he like he wasn't more special than other players but the, the owner even said I don't I don't encourage you to sign this and don't come back to me with with requesting you know different contracts because we have we have an agreement and that's what Sky signed off on that's part of life and um you know, so I don't have too much remorse for him in fact I was embarrassed by the way that he carried on with that contract stuff I thought that was embarrassing really yep thought it was very embarrassing for him wow I understood the the circumstances as to why he did sign that contract. They talked about his upbringing, and he had twelve siblings. His dad was essentially bedridden after he had a stroke at dinner one night, and his brother was paralyzed from the neck down, I believe. Yeah, so of course, when you get offered match. a contract, yeah, when when you get offered a contract and it's for a lump sum of cash, and it's one of the first times you've been, I guess, exposed to that kind of money, you're not going to hesitate. And Scotty said he couldn't afford to gamble on himself. He needed that money to take care of his family. Uh, but over time, he really blossomed into one of, if not a top five player in the NBA at the time, and he wasn't being compensated. So I believe the graphic said that he was leading the Bulls in most to all statistical categories, and yet he was sixth highest paying the team. But Austin, I, 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 I hear you because it was really a tricky situation, and you did raise a good point. Uh, their owner did say that I don't encourage you to sign this contract. I believe he said the same to Michael Jordan. I don't encourage you to sign the contract, but if you do, don't come back to me. I just think it's funny now, and you see this in the NFL, the MLB, the NBA, if a player's unhappy with their situation or their contract, it really doesn't take much to get out of that situation. It's it's uh, 240 characters to get out of that situation. I use Twitter. I should know how many characters it is. I, I think it's 240, <laughs> but you could tweet something. Uh, players argue with management publicly. They they run to the media and and try to confront their management or, or talk bad. It's it's very easy now to get yourself out of a situation that Scottie Pippen couldn't seemingly get himself out of at the time. But I can't wait for the rest of the series to unfold. I'm excited for the Rodman episode, and I'm glad to get my basketball fixed. But even more so, I'm glad to talk basketball with you, Austin, because we do have some Ben Simmons news as of late. Yeah. Um and just one more thing with the Pippen stuff. Like, like I understand that it's a tough situation for him, and you know it's kind of like heartless. But then, if you make an exception for him, you then have to open open the door to making exceptions for everybody. Then, and that's not how it works. So that's just not practical or realistic for a business from a, a business standpoint. So you might as well not do it for anybody. And if you have a disgruntled star, you have a disgruntled star. But that's that. It's it's not it's not a productive business model that way to make exceptions for because then when does that stop? But when when does where, where do you draw the line? How many all star appearances do you have to have before you're, you know, before you before you're valuable enough for for an exception? Like you see, what I'm saying, like you can't just. Of course, yeah. Yeah, so it, 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 I get it, and I, I do. I know it's a tough situation, but that's that's sometimes that's life. Um, but anyway, um, moving on to the Ben Simmons article. So give me g- give me your take on that whole Ben Simmons article. Did you read the whole thing? I did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what do you think of it? The first thing that stood out to me was the first sentence followed by the first paragraph. And this had to do with Ben Simmons' experience in Toronto in the playoffs last year and the Kawhi Leonard shot. And I think it's really interesting that McMullen started the article with that because Ben Simmons is 23 years old. And when you, I'll tie it to the Michael Jordan series as well. This is highlighting the 1997 season, the last dance. But Michael Jordan played for four or five seasons before he won his his first championship and Bill Lambeer was on ESPN a couple of weeks ago talking about LeBron and Michael Jordan. And he too said, I think that Detroit was integral in building Michael Jordan. He needed that to happen. A lot of the greats need to be put through the ringer. And I think the same holds in the modern day NBA. So for a player like Ben Simmons, I think a lot of fans are very nearsighted and they get caught up in the jump shooting or the lofty expectations for the Sixers turned into massive expectations and yet the team is still underperforming things of that sort. I think people really get caught up in the present. They're too nearsighted. But when you think about Simmons, he's 23 years old. He had a traumatic experience in Toronto 
and it's still probably burning a fire in him. As a fan, that was gut-wrenching to watch. I can only imagine what it was like on the stage he was on, surrounded by all this external pressure. He doesn't shoot the basketball. He could get stifled by this defender. He's not defending this player well. Brett Brown this, the organization that. All of that external pressure married with the fact that Kawhi Leonard probably hit the most absurd shot in the NBA ever to send Ben Simmons and his Sixers home. He probably has PTSD. And I think a lot of people forget about that. I, as a fan, have PTSD. I assume you have PTSD. The Sixers organization has PTSD from that. And this isn't something that you can just throw under the rug. I think Ben Simmons needed this to happen. And I'm glad it happened to him when he was 22 years old. Now, as 23, with a little more experience under his belt, he's only going to get better. And I think she did a really nice job putting that right in the introduction of this article to remind people what happened. And the first sentence is Ben Simmons can still summon the bounces in his head. And everybody that read this article presumably knew what that meant. That's not Ben Simmons bouncing a basketball or Ben Simmons getting a bounce pass. Those bounces, it signifies what happened in Toronto, the bounces on the rim via Kawhi Leonard. And I think she does a good job, I've said it, putting that in the introduction of this article to remind people of what happened. That was my first takeaway. Wow. <laughs> a lot to unpack there. Um, so here's where, here's where I am with, with, with that article. And I guess I probably have a little bit more like, I guess, skepticism of Ben Simmons than, than even though I defend him endlessly. Um, I I'm, I'm skeptical of like, you know, how real and authentic he is. Um, but I, 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 just, I, I think it's a very easy to coach him up on, on what to say in an interview with Jackie McMullen. And I, and, and I think it's very easy for him to sort of, you know, for her to, you know, look him in the eye and, and then, you know, and, and have him say it with like a stoic face and then have her put it on paper and make it sound like it's a, a really moving, um, you know, quote being used. So, I mean, I don't know that I buy it is, is, is what I'm saying. And I, I think if, if he really was that phased by it, um, you know, I think a, he would have probably been a little more open to keeping Jimmy Butler around because he thought, cause he would have belief in, in what, and what that team could do. Um, B, he would be more willing to shoot the ball because he would see what the difference in, in him not shooting and shooting can be. And I, I, I just don't think he's an emotional kind of dude. I just, I just don't think he's the kind of guy who would naturally open up like that to to any beat writer or any reporter, um, and so you know I I mean I'm sure there are realisms to it. I just don't know that I buy that you know he's that affected by the shot still. And to be honest, you know you, you said you said I probably was, I really wasn't. I sort of just put my head down and I said an unbelievable player made an unbelievable shot like he's done all series long. And then mm-hmm. I sort of reflected on, I reflected on the series. It was a, it was a really fun series. Um, but let's not, let's not forget that that, that series wasn't lost in, in that game. That series was lost in game four when they, when, when, when they went seven straight minutes without scoring a field goal and they could have put the Raptors away and taken that three to one lead. And then Kawhi hits the shot with a minute left to put him up five. The series was lost there. And then, by the way, Ben Simmons in that game four missed a, a couple, not just one, but a couple of layups that were easy finishes at the rim because he didn't go in hard enough. So, you know, I, I, I think I, I think he's he knows how to say the right thing. I just have questions about the sincerity of it. And I, I know people aren't going to like to hear that. Um, that's just where I stand on it. And I, But I will say this. I was very intrigued by the fact that he said, I could be a 40% or I could be a 30% three point shooter right now, but I'd rather be a 40% three point shooter later. Yeah. What do you think? You're just going to burst onto the scene and be a 40% three point shooter. You're, you're going to have a, a season where it's like a 30, 30, 28, 32, 34. And then you, if you, if you ever get to 36, which I think would be unbelievable at this point in his career, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, and I, you know, I, I, so I think that's pretty, I, I guess, dreamy i'd say is the word mm-hmm. for him um and you know I, I do think that 
I, you know, I, it was an interesting line where he said that, you know, accountability has been a problem for him. I think part of that is him trying to deflect some responsibility for his, you know, lack of development. Mm-hmm. And then I think part of it is him taking a big, a big shot at Brett Brown by saying, like, I'm not being held accountable by my, by my coach. But I will say this. Um, last year at Villanova, there was there was, there was was a kid who was a five-star recruit um, who wasn't getting much playing time. And they lost a game to Penn. And then right after the game, he posted on his Instagram story and said, like, it, like he said, it was my second choice for a reason. And the point of that was that when he previously committed he had committed to arizona before they had all those allegations and issues and then after that happened he decommitted and committed to his second choice which is villanova so that was a shot at villanova that he took and then that sort of axed the entire season for him and so people were like you know oh he's a kid he made the mistake you're not a kid anymore when you choose this this lifestyle when you're in the public when you're in the public eye like this when you're representing a brand you're putting on a, a uniform you're an athlete you're on Instagram, you're all these followers, you're no longer a kid. You, you, you forego that opportunity by choosing to be the celebrity. And so that means you have to grow up faster and understand the consequences and the, and the future repercussions of your actions. Um, and so that, and so that means that, you know, I, I, I do, I do hold blame for a freshman of Villanova posting something on his Instagram that he, obviously shouldn't have done and i hold ben simmons accountable for not being accountable for himself that's not it he it's his job to get better at his game he's getting paid a salary he's an employee of an organization of a franchise it is his job to get better on his own time it is not brett brown's job to hold his hand and be and to be his his babysitter brett brown has a family of his own he's entitled his offseason as well he has to focus on every player on the roster not just ben simmons Ben Simmons has a job, and that's to get better. And he, while he has, and while he, I, I, you know, he, I will vouch for him as a star. There's only one person at fault for him not being a shooter by now, and that's Ben Simmons. You're right. For me, there was a couple of quotes. Uh, first, I'm going to say that apparently his lower back impingement has all but dissipated, according to the article, which essentially means that the lower back injury he suffered from during the season has essentially disappeared, which Austin, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if, if you agree with that or if you've looked into it any further, but provided the NBA season came back in April and there was a different format for the playoffs, do you expect a healthy Ben Simmons to suit up for the Philadelphia 76ers? I expect a Ben Simmons to shoot up. I don't, uh, to suit up. I don't, I don't know that I expect a healthy Ben Simmons to, to suit up. I mean, you know, we heard, we heard from Brian and, you know, there was no clarity for, 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 for weeks at a time. They were two weeks late on their expected announcement about an update on Ben Simmons. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jackie McMullen comes out with, oh, he's ready to go. I, I, I just don't I, I don't see it. And a nerve impingement for the millionth time, not just for you, but for everybody, it's a, con- it's a result of something deeper and something more complex. That's a way of of trying to pass off to non-medical professionals an injury that's actually more significant than what you want to say because you want to save your ticket money and not have people not buy season ticket plans. If 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 they if he comes back and they don't go as far as they should or he's hindered by something, we're going to all know what it is. And it's going to affect him long-term if he rushes it. And I, I, I don't, I just don't buy that. He's just all of a sudden, you know, good to go. I don't. Okay. The things I took away, I, I I can't make my mind up because I don't know if this is an injury that would require surgery. Uh, I I don't know if this is an injury that's going to come back to haunt him. If he doesn't elect to take surgery, I'm not sure, but the injury occurred in March and he's gotten enough time off. So potentially if the Sixers return, maybe this added rest time is enough for him to bluff with the injury and and claim everything's okay and play with the injury uh, despite it maybe being nagging. And then after the season, he can get surgery and rehabilitate or it's something that doesn't require surgery. I'm really not sure. And and the lack of clarity on this injury is why I can't give you that answer. So yes, Austin, I'm with you there. 
Ben Simmons would suit up for the Philadelphia 76ers at full health. I don't think either of us have that answer, uh, but this article is definitely trying to shed some light upon it. Although it seemed like this article was about everything except for the injury. The, the injury seemed to be a minuscule part of this article. And what I wanted to get into was some of the hypocrisy in this article. And you brought up a neat point about the accountability issue and the accountability thing being Ben Sims' own issue as opposed to him having to defer blame. Now, the quote I got was, my weakness, Simmons says, is I need to have someone make me accountable. The goal is to be accountable to myself. And when I read that article or that quote, I, I almost feel sympathetic for Ben, right? We, we've been saying that there needs to be a new voice in the locker room. Somebody needs to push Ben. Somebody needs to make him shoot. And then you remember that Brett Brown made a public plea after Ben Simmons shot that one attempt to take one attempt every single game for the remainder of the season. After that quote, only two for the remainder of the season. And Brett Brown did have a sit-down discussion with both Ben and his family prior to the season and said, listen, there's people in the front office telling me that you need to shoot the basketball. You know you need to shoot the basketball. Everybody around the league knows you need to shoot the basketball, but you won't. So what am I going to do? I'm going to bench you. And neither of us want that to happen. Brett Brown being the person he is and, and having the relationship with the Simmons family that he does, of course, he coached his dad and knew Ben since an infant, he is not going to bench Ben. And I think that's problematic. It's problematic because I want to agree with Brett Brown. I don't think you need to intimidate Ben Simmons to shoot the basketball and threaten him. But then if you keep reading the article, apparently Ben Simmons only responds well to when he's being threatened. When his high school coach Kevin Boyle was screaming at him, apparently because their 25-game win streak was being jeopardized in high school, their coach was screaming at him, furious, blaming Ben Simmons. He was just stoic. He absorbed it. And apparently when he gets criticism like that, he responds really well. And then he says, okay, it's, it's time to wake up. But all of this is just so confusing, and I think it's hypocritical because another part of the article said that Ben didn't go to class. Ben didn't train well. Over the offseason, he, he, he didn't do drills to make himself get better. He was just playing pickup games. So he hires Johnson to start shooting the basketball and learning how to dribble more. And the first few drills and when by he the did way, that, And by the way, that. in doing that, you're, you're basically just hiring someone who's trying to pr- promote their own brand. So he's mm-hmm. just going to put it all – so you're basically you're, – you're, you're, you're benefiting because this guy's going to put it all over Instagram anyway. And you're just going to be able to repost it yourself and, 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 and blow up all over social media. That's, right, what, that's so what you're doing. All summer, you got Chris Johnson and Swish Hoops posting video of Ben Simmons shooting threes in, in, in open court runs, playing with Devin Booker. He's shooting the three ball, and Ben is posting them and reposting them. What's the point in doing that? That's that's blue balls. And, and so I, I think it's hypocritical because in one point of the article, Ben Simmons is saying, well, my weakness is that I'm, I, I need to make myself more accountable. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not great at that. Well, then how come if you hire Chris Johnson and the first couple of drills you guys are doing are passing drills, you don't want to be doing there doing the passing drills. Or instead of training an adequate amount, you're just doing open court runs. Or instead of going to class and being a full student athlete, you're just being an athlete. Things of that sort. Now, the college situation is much different because of how flawed the NCAA is. But still, he's been having accountability issues dating back to college, which both he recognizes and his high school coach recognizes. And yet it seems like a lot of blame is being deferred to Brett Brown. And Austin, you know, just as well as anybody, I'm a huge critic of Brett Brown, but I kind of feel bad for him in this situation because he tried to nudge Ben Simmons to shoot before the season. It didn't happen. In the middle of the season, Ben Simmons takes a a sporadic three-point shot. So Brett Brown says, This kid's not going to listen to me behind closed doors. His parents can't get through to him. His friends can't. His trainers can't. So let me make a public plea. He makes a public plea, and and it just looks like he got embarrassed because it looks like Ben Simmons won't listen to him and Ben Simmons won't shoot. So I kind of feel bad for for Brett Brown because I think he's kind of being scapegoated in this situation, and, and he's really being forced to be that guy that needs to hold Ben Simmons accountable and make him accountable. But I do think Brown is trying, and and Brown's fatal flaw is that he seems like he he's almost too nice of a guy. 
Um, maybe a cutthroat coach would make it work, and that's something Kevin Boyle said. If I was the current coach of the 76ers, I would tell him, if you're not going to shoot, you're not going to play. I, I, I don't care what your name is or what you can offer us. If you're not going to shoot, you're, gonna, you're not going to play. That's his high school coach. Brett Brown didn't do that, and, and he said they explored that option, but he didn't want to. And he said the public plea was his only way of trying to give Ben a nudge, but it obviously didn't work. So I think now the impression that this article leaves me is that the only way you're going to get Ben Simmons to do what you want him to do is if you threaten him. And his high school coach said that's a technique. Simmons responded to it before, and he has a thirst for accountability. But unfortunately, he can't really hold himself accountable yet. So somebody else has to do that for him. Yeah, and I, I I think you make a lot of good points there. Um, I I don't blame Brett Brown as much. I mean, like like the one thing he could do, and I and I, I saw this video I think last night where Richard Jefferson was like, by benching, what it is is the coach you don't shoot, you don't shoot an open shot. The coach benches you for a second and says, shoot that shit next time, and then he subs you back in a minute later, and then that next time that shot comes, you take it. And that's like he was saying, like Coach Popovich would berate guys for like a second, put them back in two seconds later, and then they the next shot they take, um, and that's like what a benching I guess qualifies as. So I don't know that, you know, you're gonna like, like, like Brett Brown could do that, and then that would be a stern message to the to, to the fans to Ben Simmons that okay he gets the Brown takes him out for ten seconds and he passes up an open shot at right 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 before he does that benching clearly he's being benched for a lack of shooting. And Brett Brown can at least cover his own ass by doing that. But, you know, he didn't, he hasn't done that. That's true. Um, but I mean, like, like, like it says a lot about Ben Simmons that Brett Brown can say like, like I'm at my wits end. What do I do? Do I have to bench you to get this thing to happen? And even Ben Simmons at that point, Ben Simmons is like, uh, this isn't like, like I'm not going to, I'm not going to shoot. Like, I don't know if it's, if it's just like, you're severe. He's so severely lacking in confidence, which is something that I read from that article is that he it was is. lacking confidence. Um, or that like, 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 like at some point you have to swallow your confidence and just at least try to shoot the ball because you're going to cost your coach to his job. And you're, there are games that the team has lost because you don't shoot the ball. I mean, these are all things that you have to be, you know, I, I, I understand that. You know, he he wasn't a full student athlete in college. He was only an athlete, really. I mean, name one, name a kid who's a one and done who isn't like that. And I know I'm making a lot of assumptions there, but like, would you be motivated if you knew, if you knew you were going to college for one year? Oh no, no, no that that situation, I I completely side with Ben Simmons. Yeah. If if, right. if you're going to be a high caliber pick in the NBA, there's essentially no point in participating in class if you don't want to. And that was the problem. He said, I was being punished where I couldn't play because my GPA was so low, but I'm thinking like, why the hell do I have to go to class? I know I'm not going to graduate with a degree because I don't want one. I'm going to be a top five pick in the NBA and that's his choice to make. And unfortunately he was punished for that. And, and, but you know, these are all parts of, of growing up. And I think that's one of the issues and flaws of the one and done is that these kids typically, by the time they come to the NBA, they're still mentally, not ready for to be to be you know hold okay. themselves personally accountable. I see they, that. You know the the, the the most accountable thing that they have to do at this stage in their lives is set their alarm for practice the next morning. Wake up at a wake up at a reasonable time. They can go to bed as late as they want. They 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 they, they can have babies. They they can you know eat wherever they want pretty much. The only thing they have to be accountable for is that they show up on time. And that's it. Um, and so you know. But Ben Simmons isn't isn't a rookie anymore. He really he, he he his rookie year was the year that he got that he got hurt and that and he wasn't available. That was his, that was his chance to be a kid. He's played now going on three NBA seasons, so the excuses are 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 minimum now. There, there's no more room for oh he's just a kid he's learning. No, you're 23. You're he, he he's a day younger than me. I had to I, you know I I I had to be accountable for myself. All the time now, everything I do, um, I you know my my my, my at work I just missed the promotion to what for, for a, a division that I really wanted to be in because my numbers weren't good enough at work, and then I got put in the second division, you know this 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 past week, 
And so, you know, I got rewarded, but not to the most that I wanted to, but I had to be accountable for my own mistakes and, and get better. And so mm-hmm. does he. So does he. Just because he's an athlete doesn't exempt him from that. He has to do it himself. But so far, it's going to cost him his coach. It's costing games. It might have cost history, too, because who knows how differently these teams would defend him in the playoffs if he'd just taken jump shots. Um, you know, and, and again, I'm one of the believers that Ben Simmons does not have to shoot to be a great player. I've said right. it over and over again. I say it on Twitter all the time. He does not have to shoot to be a good player or be, to be a great player. The but both of us, be, yes. But he can be LeBron James. He can be LeBron James if he shoots the ball. They are – I mean, everyone you talk to, if they're not biased, they'll say he's like magic and he's like LeBron. Pass first wings who who, who, who can who – can, who are game changers in transition, who can rebound, get out, athletic, and you know, not great shooters coming into the NBA. There's still time for him to change that narrative on, on his career that he's held back by this jump shot. But it's about owning up, swallowing ego – and being accountable for oneself and getting better when it is time to get better and then having fun when it's time to have fun. I think there's a lot to be said about Sim's personality and I'm glad that we can learn a little more about Ben both on the court and off the court about his mindset when he plays but also how he carries himself off the court and she included a little excerpt about how much of a prankster he is off the court with some of his friends and teammates and now he's doing vlogging on YouTube and video game streaming. So you get to learn more about Ben Simmons, but I think he is still pretty stoic and he said he likes to keep his emotions to himself. The final quote I'll leave you with Austin is a Western conference coach said, and this was in the article in regards to Giannis Antetokounmpo developing a three ball. It's great. He's working on his three point range, but we're still giving him that shot every single time and hoping he takes it. So not only is Ben Simmons eventually going to have to integrate a jump shot but when he does integrate it, he's going to have to know how to successfully use it. When it's the right time to shoot, where on the floor he needs to shoot the basketball, in what situation to use it. And Chris Johnson said when Ben Simmons is back on the floor, he's going to be using it in a multitude of ways. Pull up jump shots at the elbow, fadeaways, maybe turnaround jump shots, the three ball, everything of that sort. Right now, Ben Simmons, he seems to be a perfectionist and claims that he wants to make the perfect play for his team, the most efficient play. And while he does that more often than not, sometimes the most efficient player, most effective play would be him taking a three-point shot. And he hasn't done that. I don't think it's hindering his game too much because he still can do things so successfully. He plays great defense. He facilitates on the offense. He kickstarts offense, finds guys in motion, forces guys to get open, still attacks with such ease. He's great in transition. I mean, more, more things Ben Simmons is good at than I can count on my hands and toes. But... There is still an elephant in the room, and it is that jump shot. A lot remains to be seen, but he's 23 years old. So so there, there there's plenty of time. Austin, like you said, it did cost his coach a job, and, and that – well, not yet, but presumably so. And that may be for the best. Uh, but until we see Ben Simmons on the court again, we really won't know if, if this is true or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to be careful to not, like, you know, basically – correlate his ability to be great with the jump shot because again I, I don't think he needs to be great i still think he can be a great player and a superstar without it i just think that's what separates him from becoming an all nba generational you know um unicorn type player that that that, mm-hmm. that you know lebron was at a time um and now you know you have other guys that, that are like that i think that's what separates him from 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 being a top three player in the NBA is that jump shot. There's a difference between being a top 15, which I think he probably is right now. And then a top three. Um, now I, I, one thing I did want to mention was like when he, when he brings up, you know, the, 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 um, um, the, the accountability thing. And, you know, he basically takes a shot at Brett Brown. It did sort of enter my mind how that dynamic with Embiid is affected by it. And I, and I put something out on Twitter last night, like, like I wonder how their relationship changes um, when um, you know because based on the article, Ben thinks that a different coach would be good for him, but if, but you know Embiid still very well might be it might be a a a, a Kevlar vest for Brett Brown in, in with with this franchise, and if Embiid doesn't want doesn't want Brown gone, which every time he gets a chance to, he says it's on the players, not the coach. Um, 
you know, if 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 if, if Simmons is 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 for Brown getting kicked and beats wants him, you know, wants him to stay, that can cause a rift. That can make things a lot more interesting in terms of how their relationship is because if one, if because whatever decision they make, one of them might be unhappy, and then you might have an actual relationship issue between Ben Simmons and LeBron, or not LeBron, and Joel Embiid. Yeah, I hear you. I, I don't think, and I presume you don't as well, something of that has happened so far. Uh, they did have Joel Embiid quotes in the article, and Embiid said, a lot of the people that criticized me for standing out the three-point line fail to understand that I'm doing that because of how great Ben Simmons is at attacking and driving. So just how Embiid compliments Ben Simmons' game, I think Embiid also has a desire for Simmons to compliment his game. And that perfect compliment to Embiid's game would probably be shooting. So right now, I don't foresee any issues arising, uh, but that could lead to some turmoil if this fit doesn't continue to work out. But for the time being, they can coexist. They will win basketball. This season is not a representation of how the two can coincide. There's a lot of other factors. Uh, but like I said, a lot remains to be seen until these two take the court again. So, so do you, do you buy that? Like when Christoph says, like, oh, he'll be taking these jump shots when he comes back. I don't believe that for a second. Not at all. And I was actually going to ask you. The only reason I don't believe that is because this is the second consecutive year where I've seen Ben Simmons shooting the three ball with Chris Johnson or a trainer and posting videos, and nothing has happened. It's like Austin. Both of us play two K, right? When we're playing my career and I play the Seventy Sixers, it's computer generated. It's AI. They have Ben Simmons pulling up and taking turnaround jump shots and three. It just looks so awkward. Like it, it does. It doesn't seem right that he's shooting the basketball, even in a video game. So until I see it, I don't believe it. I think it's eventually going to happen, but I'm not going to get my hopes up for a specific timeline. It's it's just slowly over time going to happen. And there's a lot of other factors that contribute to him not shooting. I know he's seeing a sports psychologist, and mentally he's probably dealing with a lot of pressure because, like I said, he, he he's presumably a perfectionist and he wants to do the right thing at all times. So he, he's not comfortable with that element of failure or that element of shooting one for 20, things of that sort coming out and playing really poorly shooting the basketball. But my question to you is, which Brett Brown claimed in the article would happen if the circumstances were different. The Cleveland Cavaliers have essentially no pressure. Not many people are watching them. There's no eyes on them. So, so, so Colin Sexton is, is free to do this. I was so confused and, and I was curious Apparently, Ben Simmons had such high expectations, and the, the, the expectations for the Sixers were so high when Ben Simmons was drafted that he refused to shoot, and, and that's partially why he won't second. shoot. Now, if the circumstances were different and he's on a G League roster or he's on a different team or something like that, is he shooting the basketball? What do you think about that? I think I think that we've become so good at just like sifting through the bullshit and reading through it. There's just no way that he's going to come in here and, you know, Brett Brown says he'd be flinging up threes all over the place. There's no way. There's no way. Because the expectations for the Sixers in, in Ben Simmons' first season was they're like a borderline playoff team, a 40-win team. Exactly. So, 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 so why wasn't he doing that early on in that campaign when they were 0-3, 14-18? and 18? He was never shooting then either. Or and he, he was, said he was, that. He was doing ben- it barely. In the article, Ben said, that's never been my game. And if you go back to his high school and, and collegiate games, he was he's never been a shooter like that. So I don't know what would suggest that if he was drafted by the Charlotte Hornets or if he was drafted by the worst team in the NBA, he'd just come out and be jacking up threes. I don't know what suggests he would do that. But that's also hypothetical. No, and it's, another it's, thing that I don't buy is like Embiid saying like, Oh yeah, um, the reason I play out in the perimeter is because uh, Ben Simmons is a great player, like like like, like driving the basket. Okay, sure, but I also know that Embiid is a sensitive player, and he and he likes to be, you know, he 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 plays out in the perimeter because sometimes he he's gassed and he's winded. Other times he wants to step out and take threes. I mean, he even said like in his in his uh, players' tribune article, "I have to step outside to shoot exactly. because everyone else is doing it." I was so, about to say so, that. So, so there's all there, there's a lot of bullshitting going on in these articles that 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 wasn't addressed. 
Um, now I'm not, I don't blame Jackie McMullen. I, I, I don't know, you know, what else she might've had in her mind or if maybe she forgot about that, but, but there were, there were a lot of holes in those, in those postulations there. Um, now I, um, and I, oh God, I hope I use the right, right word with that. <laughs> I couldn't even spell that. Um, if you gave me <laughs> um, but you know, it, it, my, my, my one question is like, that I'm still trying, trying to figure out is what are the Sixers? if they're both back healthy and you have arrested Horford and Tobias Harris is refreshed and Brett Brown has some time away from the team to sort of regroup and kind of like think that I don't, I don't think that's going to change too much because it hasn't changed in three off seasons. But I, I, I do wonder if they will be like, that people will be like, Oh wait, this is, this is a lot more terrifying now that they've had all this time off and they're well rested and, and, and Horford is fresh and they got Simmons back. I do wonder if maybe they can give some of the teams in front of them a, 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 tr- a true run for their money. I think the same. It's it's tough for me to really tell you because the team was so successful at home yet so hard on the road. And I understand why that was. It was largely due to their offense and the way they jack up threes and, and just give teams the basketball essentially. And they don't even do it by way of turning the ball over. It's just – coming down the court and green lighting the first open shot. But I really don't know because I look at a team like Miami and I think Miami would have been very dangerous in the playoffs. I don't necessarily think Indiana would have really given Philadelphia a problem. Uh, Boston, I don't think had, had the size to give Philadelphia a problem, but Miami's a sneaky team. The Bucks were way too good in the regular season for no reason. They were way too good. And, and, and Toronto is another team, too, where I'm not even sure if Philadelphia has to go into Toronto. They could take any games away from the Raptors. Now, back at home, it's a different story. But with this team, it, it was really any given night. And I think I'm so removed from basketball now, on a consistent basis at least, that I can give you any opinion on players or teams altogether. Yeah, I, I definitely think that stepping away and having this time off has allowed me to reflect on some reality instead of like sort of like contorting things a little bit and, you know, like maybe like being a little bit biased towards them. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just, I think that they would, um, I think they'd find a way to get past the first round. I don't know why I just, I just do. I think that they are one of the two or three most talented teams in the NBA. And I think that they, um, you know, that, I, I just had this feeling they would have willed their way because all they would have to do is win one road game and then just lock in at home and do what they've done all season. They've proven that they can do. And you, you're winning a series in six or five five or six games. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I think they would have found a way. Now, second round is a different story, especially if you're the four seed because you're playing Milwaukee. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. But, I, you know, I also – I don't think I want to know. I think I'm – kind of moved on from this season already and i That's think I you know and, I, and truth be told i think we've seen the last of Al horford i i, I really really don't. i yeah i i don't think we'll see him back next year so what do you I, think I, he's he's traded yeah i i think they're gonna trade him and 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 i think i i think they'll trade him and josh in a package together i, I do and i think okay i think they're gonna make a, a strong run run at buddy healed I don't know why I just have a feeling. I think that they mm-hmm. want him real bad. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be an interesting off season, but I, I just don't see a situation where they can, where they stand pat and they're like, Nope, this is the team we're moving forward with next year as well. Cause I mean, it was, they had no shooting. It was dreadful all year long. And it, it, the, the, they need to find ways to, to, to build around their players not provide insurance for them, but build around them. You have to provide mm-hmm. shooters and slashers, guys like the. You have to find, you know, uh, Boyan Bogdanoviches as many, as often as you can. I was, I was watching a replay of a game, the Jazz and the uh, the Bucks last night, and Bogdanovich hits like four threes in a row, yep. and he's making like sixteen million. And and and, and you know they they really misallocated money this offseason, and they got to get they got to find a way to open some of that back up, or else. Not only are they in trouble, but they they might they might be they might be fucked because if them oh. and Simmons aren't aren't gonna de- aren't gonna develop, then what are we doing here? We're gonna be subjected to this for for the next four years, and then it's too late. 
I don't know if it's too late, but you're wasting valuable years. And who knows how much longer you have a healthy Embiid? Who knows how much you know? Who knows if, if they're even going to be here for for the remainder for their entirety of their contracts? So much changes in the NBA so fast, and you don't have time to wait around for a, a contract to expire or for, or for or to get the right pieces at a later date. Now, I wonder what would be different about this team if Philadelphia, similar to how the Bulls did it, informed Brett Brown prior to the season that you can go 82-0 and and you're not returning after the season. <laughs> I kept thinking about that. And I was like, I was like, I was like, Phil Jackson wins three in a row. And, and they come and they tell him, That's how it they doesn't matter him. if you go 82-0 and and you're still out. <laughs> if Brett the- Brown ever won more than 55, I think it would be a party. Yeah. People, would be, people would be going crazy. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's get into the bracket now. We're, we're 45 minutes in. Let's get into your bracket. We have a couple of matchups left on your side. If people who don't remember, Brock and I are, 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 are taking on the Mediocrity Madness Challenge. Uh, that is our bracket of, of random Sixers from 2000 to 2016. Brock, you are down to your Elite Eight. And so tonight we're going to get through the Elite Eight and the Final Four. Um, the first matchup we have is Allen Iverson and Drew Holiday. Brock, you may begin. But make your case for one or the other. I'm going to go with Allen Iverson here, and there's not much of a debate. He spent five seasons atop the NBA in usage percentage and finished fifth in the history of basketball in that statistical category, only 1.43 below Michael Jordan, so his usage among one of the best of all time. He had really unique shooting splits throughout his career, but the NBA stats only started tracking them in 2007. That marked the final three seasons of Iverson's league in the uh, of Iverson's uh, final three years in the league. But that's the first three of tracking. And in those first three years of tracking, which again, the final three years of Iverson's career, he shot 79.8% on pull-up field goal attempts 91.6% on step back field goal attempts and 76.8% on floating jump shot field goal attempts. So the guy could do it all offensively and he went to Denver. He had a spike in his three point percentage, two point percentage, true shooting, offensive rating. All of those numbers went up when he was surrounded by a complimentary score. They've been playing the 2001 finals on uh, NBC Philadelphia and you watch that final series and it's hilarious because Allen Iverson was really just that entire team. And that's why his usage percentage was what it was over 50% field goals made unassisted. He was a one man army and, and he did it at a size that was really unprecedented. No one had ever really seen Iverson before or, or a player do what Iverson did before I should say. And I think he's pound for pound, the the greatest little man in all of the NBA history. So Drew holiday, despite his tenure with Philadelphia and how much I like him, He's not going to touch Allen Iverson in this part of the bracket. I wonder how crazy the 30 for 30 is going to be on Allen Iverson. There's, they have they one. Have, they have one. No, but I mean like, like, the, the, like the Jordan level documentary, like the last dance level documentary. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I that's think gotta, actually. That's got to be something. That's got to be something wild. The person who made the Jordan documentary or at least proposed to make it made the Iverson 30 for 30, interestingly enough. I gotta watch that. Then I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I don't know if I, it, it, I'm pretty sure it's a comprehensive thirty for thirty, uh, but it may just. I don't. I don't know if it if it details the entirety of his career though. I can't remember. I, I haven't seen it in a couple of years. It's definitely about uh, some of the the off the court antics and his struggles with the law and a legal battle and what happened in high school and him playing yeah. football. He was a great football player too. He said yeah. if he didn't turn pro for the NBA, he would have. He probably would have played professional football. Yeah, I remember when I was younger, I would like the Sixers used to do this thing called like fan of the game before the game, where you would they would select like they would select like a kid and like a parent, and they would be the fan of the game, and they would show you on the big screen uh, for like two seconds, and then you got to go on the court and like be on the sidelines with the players for shoot around. And so I remember I got to do it when I was like twelve or thirteen, and Drew Holiday was a rookie. And he makes a shot from the corner, and then at the same time, he's like holding his hand behind me on the follow through, and he's, he's waiting for me to give him a high five. It took me forever to realize it. He's like, "Come on, man!" And I'm like, oh, "My bad." And I hit, I hit him with one, and he and he and he and he, and he never had a good time. Mm-hmm. He was like a he was like a, he was like a, a a youngster back then, and now yeah. he's in his thirties with a wife and kid. 
Um, and it just, it's just remarkable that he, I mean, his career changed so fast. He went from a guy who was a 17th pick to a, a starting a starting point guard within the same season, and then he was an All Star two years later. It was it was it was, it was nuts. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Drew Holiday is one of the most underrated players in the NBA, even though he's had a really bad, not a really bad season, but a, a down season for him or his own standards. But yeah, Iverson's another breed. There's no chance here. It's, it's, it's AI all the way. Some of the numbers for Iverson are just mind boggling. Like he, he led the league twice in free throws attempted and free throws made and finished within the top 10 for free throws attempted nine other times. His shooting foul percentage throughout the duration of his career which means the percentage of shots you're fouled on and you can go to the line, was basically the same as James Harden's. And James Harden goes to the league more often than any player in the NBA. And Iverson did that at the time when the paint was just a logjam. So I looked at some of Iverson's numbers, and of course he was one of the league leaders in scoring for most of all the years in his entire career. 2000, he won the MVP award. But ironically, in almost every season, less than 14% of his points came from three-pointers. Now, if you compare that to some of the top 10 point game scorers now, Trey Young, 45.5% are three-point shots. Bradley Beal, 36.9% are three-point attempts. James Harden, 55.5%. Like I said, for Iverson, less than 14%. So it's always fun to think about how Iverson would have translated with today's NBA. I think it would have been great. Uh, But Austin, you agree with me there. We're going to take out Iverson. You know, I was kind of wondering is like, I wonder how, I mean, Iverson would have dominated today too, because you have the hand checking rules that you didn't have in the past. And the fouls are so prevalent today that he would have gotten like, murder on driven, dri- on, you know, um, dribble drives. And then you'd have guys switched out in him on the perimeter. He would blow by bigs in today's game. I think he would have been murdered today as well. Without a doubt. Yeah. And the next two we're talking about, uh, you, you talk about murder that's a crime. Both of these players are, are pretty <laughs> familiar with crimes. Matt Barnes and Rashawn Holmes, nothing against their characters. Uh, but Rashawn was arrested for possession of marijuana. And ironically enough, Matt Barnes has a podcast, All the Smoke, where if you watch it and, and now they're quarantined, there's some smoke on that podcast, definitely. So the two of these probably have more in common than you may have thought. Uh, but for me here, I'm going to go with Rashawn Holmes. And it was a pretty tough decision because I love Matt Barnes' post-career work. Uh, but at the time, he, he really wasn't much for Philadelphia. I equate Matt Barnes' tenure in Philadelphia to putting your name on the first slide of the presentation or for the group project, uh, except that Sixers team he was on didn't win anything either. So it's like you put your name on the presentation and you still fail the presentation and you did no work. Uh, so that's what I'm equating his tenure in Philadelphia to. We had a lined up Matt Barnes in Philadelphia, a buzz cut Matt Barnes, a baby Matt Barnes before the tattoo sleeves. But he was ninth in minutes played on a team which featured Iverson, Andre Godala, Chris Weber, Kyle Korver, John Salmons. Not to mention Iverson, 25 field goal attempts per game that season. Chris Weber, 20 attempts per game. Andre Godala, a little over eight. And Kyle Korver, almost 10 attempts per game. So that's over 60 attempts per game coming from four players. There weren't many shots to go around. Iguodala, Corver, and John Salmons all played 82 games that season. AI and Iggy were both top 20 in minutes played. Chris Weber and AI both had usage percentages of 27 plus percent. So really there was no time to be had for Matt Barnes on the floor. And that's why 0.01% of his points, career points were scored in Philadelphia in the 50 games he played here. He took 110 field goal attempts, which is a career low for qualifying qualifying seasons. That would be 20-plus games. He only hit two threes, and he attempted 11 of them that year. The team 38-44, they missed the playoffs, and their defensive rating was 25th of 30. So no matter how hard I tried to find something good from Barnes' tenure in Philadelphia, I couldn't. Whereas for Rashawn Holmes, he played three times as many games in Philadelphia, almost double the minutes per game as Matt Barnes. Over 50% of his career points were scored in Philadelphia. He shot over 51% from the field every season in Philadelphia. After he departed, 60% in Phoenix and 65% in Sacramento, showing great improvement. He made 39 threes compared to Matt Barnes, too. He has more assists and blocks in his career than he does turnovers. And he played on an infamous 10-72 and 72 team. Uh, that was Philadelphia's worst team of all time, arguably one of the worst NBA teams of all time. But nonetheless, 
It was iconic. If you were a Sixers fan during the time, you can't forget that team. And Rashawn Holmes was a part of it. He was also a part of a Philadelphia team that made the playoffs, but unfortunately he only got 11 minutes compared to Amir's 94, Amir Johnson that is. Rashawn Holmes was in the doghouse, but he has much more of a career in Philadelphia. He's probably more recognized as a 76 than Matt Barnes would be, and for that reason, I am taking Rashawn Holmes. Fair. I, I like it. I, I, I agree. I, I think uh, Matt Barnes would have been a really good fit for this Sixers team. Because you know he's outspoken, he developed a bit of an outside jumper late in his, later in his career. But um, yeah, I mean he 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 was nothing when he was here. Um, and you know Rashawn Holmes, although teams were never great, he um, he 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 made some some good contributions for a team that that really needed a backup center. And he was one of the best centers on a team that had four centers that were drafted in the lottery. And none of whom could really play. <laughs> yep. And now time. it's power forwards we focus on as opposed to <laughs> exactly. centers. So we're some days someday we'll get to guys who can both shoot and dribble at the same yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. You can only day. hope. Um, now we have Grant, Jeremy Grant, Nerlens Noel, one of my favorite process Sixers, and someone who in your in your favorite process Sixers. So my versus your favorite. Yeah, and I know you were you were talking a, a big game about Nerlens Noel and his attitude a couple of weeks ago, but. Him and his bad attitude are going to advance past Grant this round. Jeremy oh, Grant was let go. He, he was let go due to circumstance. We talked about that last week. Philadelphia wanted some more defensive versatility, offensive production. Ersan Ilyasovic to offer that. We shot 38% from deep and 37% from deep two years prior. He had been to the postseason a couple of times, and he was a better rebounder than Grant. Grant, of course, much younger, but Philadelphia let him go due to circumstance. And Jeremy Grant, this is not great, but he had his most total turnovers in his entire career in Philadelphia, despite playing 95 more games in Oklahoma. And I blame Brett Brown for that. I think that's merely a product of the offense that Brett Brown ran and not too many options to pass the ball to to get a bucket on some of those teams Grant played for. But when I look at Nerlens Noel, he started 71 of the 75 games he played in 2014. And he started 62 of the 67 he played in 2015. Of course, 2016 was much different because the process, Joel Embiid, came to play. And he wasn't the prettiest analytically, but Nerlens was definitely the most productive in Philadelphia due to his role. He had 744 points and 747 points in those two years, which I believe are the most points per season Noel has had in his career. He had a 100.9 defensive rating in 2014. It almost fell below 100, which is phenomenal defensively, and he had four-plus defensive win shares. And also, he was one of only two players in the NBA that had 100-plus blocks and 100-plus steals. That was Anthony Davis, the other one. And in his second season, he was one of four players to do that. So Nerlens Noel, one of my favorite process Sixers, was productive in Philadelphia. And while he was a one-dimensional center, he was still very, very productive, and he made contributions on the team that needed it. Well, I got nothing to say to that. I mean, I, I love, I love uh, Jeremy Grant, but I mean, that's a that's a damn good argument. Um, yeah. All right. Um, I, I will say this: uh, Jeremy Grant would have been a great, great, great player to have on the last two Sixers teams. No doubt. I mean, defensive versatility, athletic as all hell, could create transition. JJ Redick would have loved. Ha- to have him because you just, you just deflects passes, gets you out, and then JJ just sprints to a spot and spots up. I mean, my God, that would have been beautiful. So let um, me ask you this though: which will have more of a longevity in the NBA between the two? Who, Grant and Noel? Yeah. Well, I think I think I think Grant by far. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, Grant's shooting like thirty-eight percent from three, and Nerlens Noel is an energizer bunny off the bench. I mean, I think <laughs> I think I think you can I think you can play. Grant, pretty much on any team, and have him be productive. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, for you, we have Lavoy and Lavoy Allen and Jordan McRae. This is a pretty easy choice for me. I hope you make the right choice here. All right. Well, I, I saved the best two for last, <laughs> and here I'm going with Lavoy Allen. Of course. Both players average less than seven points per game for their career. Also, both sub forty-seven percent from the field. And the two of them have more turnovers than steals and blocks. So not much for their careers, but a little bit of optimism for Lavoy Allen. Uh, his, his defensive rating was 92.2 in 2011. Most of his minutes came at power forward. 
I'm an analytics guy. A 92.2 defensive rating is off the charts good. Of course, Lavoy Allen isn't a deep boy by any stretch of the means, but when he was on the floor, he was able to hold his own and he did it well at the power forward position. Then came the playoffs in 2011. He played 12 games, a little spike in minutes, almost 20 minutes per game. He shot over 50% from the field with 10 steals and 10 blocks, and most of his minutes in the playoffs came at center. And this is a time when the Bulls and the Celtics were reigning in the Eastern Conference, so Lavoie Allen was tasked with playing guys like Taj Gibson, Joakim Noah, Kevin Garnett, Kendrick Perkins, big guys at the time, and Lavoie was Kevin able to Garnett. hold his own. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, it's, so, it's, it's, well, also, you want to throw in that Lavoie Allen played games for the Sixers, and Jordan McCray never quite did. Never did, <laughs> right. So the, the decision there wasn't tough. Right. So now we're down to the final four for you. We have... Um, Al, we have not, not Al, AI. Al Horford, wow. <laughs> AI versus Rashawn Holmes and yep. Lerland's Noel versus Lavoy Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, give me your case, Allen Iverson and Rashawn Holmes. Who, 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 who advances there? <laughs> uh, I might have to come back to you next week on, on the other podcast to let you know that answer. I haven't made my mind up yet now. Come on. <laughs> That's Allen Iverson. Head and shoulders, that's Allen Iverson. I've been saying it for weeks. Nobody on this bracket is going to beat Allen Iverson. Uh, I mean, people love the flair of today's NBA, the offense, the clothes, the accessories, the hairstyles, the tattoos, everything. I said at the beginning of the podcast, too, opinions are fooled by stats. They're, they're, some are fueled by performance, some by bias, some by hindsight. And the right answer is, is usually never attainable. This time it is. Allen Iverson is, in my opinion, the greatest 76 would ever put that uniform on. If they play one-on-one right now, who do you think would win? Between who? Holmes and Iverson? Yeah. I don't think Holmes is tying his shoes. I don't think he's tying his shoes. I think I think I kinda, he's setting his I kind of think Holmes would win. Actually? I I, I, well, are you just because of the height? I think he would just throw a lob off the backboard and catch him and dunk him. <laughs> like, he's yeah, way there's bigger. one problem with that, though. You miss one shot, you're not getting the ball back. Well, all he has to do is just meet Iverson at the rim and pin him off the backboard. Nah, well, that's easier said than done. I mean, if we're talking about a, a Dirk Nowitzki or a, a, like a, a legitimate center here, I'll hear your case, but we're talking about Rashawn Holmes. Let's not forget that. Listen, Rashawn's averaging 12 and 8, and that, that that's pretty legitimate. I, I, I think. I think Rashawn Holmes would win, and I think he would probably do it handily. That's a hot take, man. I, I can't get behind that. I can't I get behind that. I haven't played basketball in like seven or eight years. No, ten oh, years. Oh, you meant currently? Yes. Oh, my God. I thought you meant at, at the primes of their careers. Okay, no. currently? <laughs> no, Jesus. I meant Iverson hasn't played in ten years. Yeah, right I don't now. know. Iverson's got a little bit of a gut now. I, he's He's been eating well at the Wells Fargo courtside when he shows up to the games. I don't know who's winning that game. I'd like to say Iverson still wins, but Rashawn is, is much younger <laughs> and, and at, at, at his peak <laughs> athletic prime right now. You thought somebody with my profile would have said Iverson loses to prime Iverson loses to prime. That's why I'm sitting here. I'm like looking around my bedroom. I'm I'm looking for somebody to ask who the hell is this dude talking to. I know he didn't just say Rashawn Holmes would beat Iverson one on one in their prime. No, and that's like 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 Iverson right now versus Rashawn Holmes right now. I think Rashawn Holmes would win. I. There's no way Rashawn Holmes – if Rashawn Holmes can't beat a retired Allen Iverson who's been out like 10 years, there's another problem. There's another yeah, problem. AI's got too many grays in his hair to, to win in a, a, a one-on-one versus a current NBA player now probably. And one who who can jump out of the gym and is much bigger than him as well. He, he might have problems dribbling though. AI, AI might still have, have some good footwork and some good hands defensively. Who knows? Yes, yeah, so you, yeah, so you just drop back and you meet him at the rim. You're not going to lose that battle. Yeah. Well, Rashawn's what, 6'10"? I, th- I guess so. I don't know. Yeah, he's, I think he's 6'10". He, he has the bunnies, though. 6'9 or 6'10", yeah. Um, Grant, and then and then we have we have Nerland's Noel versus Lavoie Allen. That's going to be Nerland's Noel. Really? No questions asked. I mean, yeah, but like this, the numbers you gave me, I, I probably, if I, had, if I didn't have context, I probably would have said, Lavoy. Yeah, but the difference is 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 if if we polled a hundred Sixers fans and asked 
if they knew who Lavoie Allen was, I, I guarantee you over 60% would have no idea who Lavoie Allen is. And those are the ones that are the fake ones, by the way. Those are the ones that get all the retweets on Twitter and complain about Ben Simmons not shooting the jump shot and, and get – those are the people with, with, that have, for some reason, renowned opinions on Twitter. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. Um, all right, so we ha- we're down to your final two. Allen Iverson versus New Orleans Noel, a matchup of Titans. Who We all saw this day coming. Who are you picking? The cake is going to Allen Iverson for, for my side of the bracket. Allen Iverson. Uh, there's only so many ways to jazz the guy up. I didn't really want to talk about him on the week-to-week bracket podcast because I could have said so many things. And a real basketball fan and, and a 76ers fan knows that there's really no competition for Iverson on this bracket. Uh, so for that reason alone, he's going to take the cake here. All right. Iverson is in the finals for the second time in his career. This there time I'll probably it. win, though. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. I got I got some gadgets up my sleeve. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, Brock, any parting shots? Mm, no, I'll save them for when I hear the players. <laughs> All right. Well, he's Brock Landis. I'm Austin Krell. As always, thank you for choos- Thank you for listening to the feed to Embiid. Uh, stay safe, everybody. Stay healthy. Stay uh, in in the house, and we'll talk to you guys later. And do you enjoy shotgunning beer? Do you want to increase your shotgun time parties? Check out my boys at the King Cobra. King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. It's also a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out on Instagram at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. And Cobra is double with a K. For 10% discount on all products, enter the code Rest the Cobra 10 all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. The feed to Embiid and Sane are protected by U.S. copyright laws. Reproduction and distribution without my written permission is prohibited. Copyright the feed to Embiid 2020. As always, thank you for listening to the feed to Embiid. Have a great evening.